Welcome to episode 15 of the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC and Greek Super League football. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Lambros Stirmos and Adi Bulubasis. No special guest today, folks, but I just want to say that again. Episode 15, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. I don't think any of the three of us saw us getting this far. It's super cool, Lambro. I'm sure you're feeling the same way that, you know, we've just even made it this far. Yeah, it's when we started this project, I don't think any of us thought we would get this much support and just would get this far so quick. And episode 15 is a real accomplishment. I'm happy to come on here twice a week with you guys and talk about Olympiacos. It's been a lot of fun. Hell yeah. I mean, I thought we would get to maybe two, two or three <laughs> episodes. You know, just our friends would be listening to this. The the surprising thing for me was the the outreach to the community, getting getting guys from across the pond, uh, the interest from them, the messages from them, you know, guys like Konstantin Levoyanis, of course, Steven Kodoru, two-time appearance as well. You know, meeting those guys, me, you know, meeting everybody, all the listens. I mean, we we never thought we would be in the hundreds of listeners, right? We wouldn't be, right. we didn't think we would be getting to that point. Like when we first saw that we had an episode that had over a hundred listeners on it, we freaked out. Or at least I freaked out. No, we we all collectively freaked out. So, sure. I mean, this is this is really cool, and I'm glad that we're able to to bring all these communities together, and you know, we're even beginning to bring in other communities from other teams. You know, we're featuring some of those guys, and we're going to address that too in housekeeping. Some of these guys from other teams as well that will be coming in during the midweek series to discuss, give us a little bit of a different look at the Super League, different look at events going on but this is incredible i never thought this was in the realm of possibility we got to talk to george titsonis and awesome. discuss yeah, yeah. the the book i mean that all of this has been incredible and i'm excited to keep going with it yeah the community has been unreal honestly the fact that we've gotten so many people to come on and, and now we're starting to branch out even to other teams and I just want to also say that all of the listeners have been great and we appreciate you listening and we also appreciate you if you want to leave and give a review, um, and I think one thing we'll start doing today is reading any of the five-star reviews that we get on Apple Podcasts. I've got one here from Greek Fuzzball, and uh, it's a nice review, and we really appreciate them for writing that. It says, uh, do you love Olympiakos and Greek football? This is a very unique and niche podcast for people interested in listening and learning more about Greek football and Olympiakos FC in English. It is an excellent pod and fills a massive hole in the current offerings, which are nearly exclusively in Greek and impossible to, or in, inaccessible to people outside of Greece. The hosts are quirky and funny, but bluntly honest, and the content is great. Highly recommend. Thank you, Mr. Fuzzball, for that. It is much appreciated. With that being said, we do need to get into the housekeeping here. We do have some more guests coming up for you all. A good string of guests. This will be our last solo podcast for a while. On Wednesday, we'll be joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Mesardic, for some discussion about the coefficient. Obviously, we've given him big shout-outs on the pod many times before because he does so much hard work that we simply just take and read out loud on the pod. So we're really happy to have him along to discuss Europe and how the coefficient works. And uh, especially with the groups coming out, we'll discuss those as well. On Sunday, October 11th, so that's next weekend, we will be joined by a correspondent from Olympiakos France. You can follow them on Twitter at OlympiakosFR, and that's with a K. On Wednesday, October 14th, 
We will be joined by Greg Gavalas of Agona Sport and Hellas Football. Greg is an Ike contributor. He does the famous forward reviews of Super League weekend matches, and he's going to be our first non-Olympiacos guest on the midweek series. So like Adi said, yeah, we're just looking to connect more communities and get different perspectives from supporters of other teams. On Sunday, October 18th, so that's two weeks from this one, we will be joined again by Konstantin Levoyanis, who you can follow on Twitter at CLEVO275. He is, of course, from Olympiacos EU, who you can follow at Olympiacos EU on Twitter. That's Olympiacos with a C. And that one will be an extra special episode because we're going to have a second guest, a correspondent from Marseille, who you can follow on Twitter at Mohamed Ali underscore 93. So we're really excited to have Mohamed on to discuss pre-match analysis for Marseille as that game will be taking place shortly afterwards uh, on Wednesday, October 21st. We will have our eighth episode of the midweek series featuring Michael Vicini, who you can follow on Twitter at Michael underscore Vicini, spelled V-I-S-S-I-N-I. Vicini is another Hellas football writer, and he is a supporter of Larissa. So it'll be a really nice uh, change of pace and a nice alternative take on all things Greek football. Finally, this is the last one that we have planned for Sunday, October 25th. We will be joined by Theo Buras from Agona Sport. He's an Olympiacos correspondent who's written all sorts of articles on various issues relating to Olympiacos. So a lot of guests enjoy this solo podcast while you can, because this is the last one for a while, and we're really excited for all these guests coming up. Additionally, as always, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International is not just a one-stop shop for all importing and exporting needs to Greece and other countries but they are also a source for all 220 volt appliances and electronics. For those who may not know, most countries outside of the US or Canada use a different electrical system. So if you're moving overseas and want to bring those quality American appliances you're used to, reach out to Piraeus International. They work alongside a network of retailers across the country that specialize in appliances that work in Greece or other European countries. Check them out at www.piraeusintl.com spelled like the port in Greece, or give them a call at 410-675-4696. With that being said, folks, we have some bams. We have some bombs, some absolute bombs coming in on the transfer market, which is closing very soon. But folks, 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 this is big, big stuff. Now, I just want to get the miniature news out of the way. The winger from Apoel Altamari that we were looking at, he's not coming. He's been sold to Leuven in Belgium. He's not coming, but big bombs coming in. Adi, tell us about Ruben Vinagre. Oh, Ruben Vinagre is very exciting. Uh, most of you already know, we're bringing in Ruben Vinagre from the Wolves. He's going to be a season-long loan with a buyout option. That buyout option is 25 million euros. So if some of you had any doubts in your minds, we are not going to be exercising this buyout option. I do not yeah. care how good Ruben Vinagre turns out. That is not something our club can afford. It is never any amount of spunny or any amount of money that we've ever spent before. It's not happening. So the best we can hope is that we do assist Wolves in developing him and he helps us obtain some success in both Europe as well as continuing our success in the Greek Super League. Uh, 
I watched a lot of film on Ruben ever since the signing was announced, uh, just to be ready with a, a deep dive on him, just to give you guys some perspective, what we can expect, what the upside is. And there is a lot to like. There is a lot to like about this player. So in just the games this season that he's played, he does, he has ball skill. That, that is very, that is very clear. He has great ball skill. Uh, he's also a great passer, which is important for buildup. He doesn't lose the ball in possession cheaply, which is very nice to have. The defensive capabilities, quality. He is positionally astute. I watched about, I think it was 70 individual defensive duels that he got into. Not a single one was he really caught kind of out in the middle of nowhere, maybe pinched a little bit too deep or too close up onto the attacker to get burned by him. No, he's very positionally aware, and he's very he's very good at knowing when there's a player that may be a little bit more technical and giving more space, and he's only 21. It's very difficult for somebody of his age to really have that type of awareness because a lot of times you get very aggressive and he is aggressive when challenging, but it's not to a fault. Like some of our questions were with uh, Miguel Traco. He could be a little too aggressive and get burned by it. Something that even Luis had told us he had to work on. Ruben doesn't seem to have that much of an issue. His aggression when challenging is more with the, the drawed fouls. He, he can get a little over eager and draw foul at time fouls at times. You guys are going to love to hear in terms of his uh, defensive dual win rate, very similar to Tsimikas. And not just in pure defensive duels. I'm talking about every aspect of it. Aerial duels, loose balls. He's very similar to Tsimikas. Now, here's the context with that. So normally we would expect a team, especially like the Wolves, they, they play a much more negative philosophy than we do. Even though... Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo is also a Portuguese coach. We've all seen that he plays more negatively than Martins does. We dominated the Wolves in possession both games. We played them off the park. They played 11 men behind the ball, and we were really moving it around. They don't usually do that. So I will say I probably would have expected him to have more more duels, and I would wanted I would have wanted to see something maybe a little bit more positive. Um, but that's also Espirito Santo's very, very negative philosophy. But it's everything here for a 21-year-old is very good to see. And the the possession, the possession or his ball skill, the way he possesses the ball and passes the ball, we also want to see that because he can do one-twos very well. He's very technically astute. Yeah, this is one that I'm really excited for, even though it's alone. Obviously, that sort of does imply that we'll have to buy someone again next summer but it really just at this point i'm just glad we have somebody because we'll get into it later but Holebas just can't cut it for every single game that we have to play this year and vinagre as you say he's a very sound player on both sides and especially it's nice that defensively he has that capability and he also is capable of going forward with the ball i think you know his crossing as you say is not great but he does have very good ball skill. He really can dribble. And I think it'll be interesting to see him in our system. Obviously, Wolves generally play with a three at the back. And uh, even then, he's still sort of a more laying back type player. But I think this is a really nice deal to get in with at the last second. It's honestly, for me, it's a bit confusing for Wolves. It's I think uh, their starting left back has been injured. And they've really been playing like center backs there, but not our problem. They owe us after we gave them Podence, and now he's a starter for them. So... I think this is a really good one. 
And uh, I'm glad that Jolivas doesn't have to play every day anymore because he clearly can't handle it. Yeah, I'm so excited to not see Jose Jolivas play week in and week out. I'm very excited about that, especially after the game today against uh, Yanina. But what I'll say about Vinagre, even though he's so young, he's played some massive games and he's played a lot of Premier League games. I don't know. I think this is the best option that we have out of all of the names that we've been hearing. I, I feel more comfortable with Vinagre than Mateus Rice, even though he, I guess, is a starter for his Portuguese team. Uh, also, the, the one kid we were hearing about from Liverpool, you know, who'd never played senior games. I know um, our previous guest um, was very high on him, but I don't know. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't so excited about him, so I, I was pleasantly surprised when this news break broke and it happened so quick. It was one of the, the fastest transfers I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, and given with how things have been with the last transfers, I mean, nothing really materialized. We had, you know, I swear, Mateus Rice was like, done deal. And then three days later, no, done deal, no. So this is at least something to get us through this season. He has plenty of upside. Peter, as already mentioned, now his crossing does need some work. I mean, right now it seems like all of our fullbacks can't cross, so that's not going to be really anything different. And... The one thing about Vinagre, and I know some people have pointed to this already. I've seen it on social media. But his long passes are not really a strength for him. He doesn't seem to have that downfield vision. This doesn't really concern me too much because, again, Espirito Santo's philosophy is very negative. Not many of his fullbacks are really looking to do that, especially on the defensive end. They're just clearing the ball out. Maybe a pass here. It's not Barcelona where they're only trying to look to play the ball. No, it's it's get out, get be safe, and that's it. So I'm not super concerned with the fact that his long passes are not, you know, he doesn't have the vision or maybe long passing out of the back is not his his thing. You know, he's we haven't seen him really experience that yet. So until we can put him in that position to, to compete in that manner and to see if he's capable of it, we don't know. So his negatives are more ifs because he hasn't really had to do that yet then oh this is a real negative about this player again one question i have for for you for vernagre is you see a lot of italian teams and i guess maybe with the, the wolves as well as they try to hide almost wingers who aren't very good in the final third out in that wing back position is he a player who in a back four may be not so strong defensively did you see anything that may show he may struggle in a back four so more, I guess, more specifically, I, I can allude to some specific uh, video that I watched, specific tapes that I watched. So there were defensively, I think he's solid. Again, positionally, he's fantastic. I like where he positions himself. He always pushes the player to, you know, when he has a player coming down, right? He always pushes them outside, always pushes them away. And instead, when there's a player kind of running on, a, if, an, if the opposing team has a progressive run, he doesn't immediately look to, as many young players would do, aggressively try and go after him and dispossess the ball. No, if he knows that the guy's on the ball, he will actually contain him, which is, this is elementary, right? This is elementary defending. When you have somebody coming and it's an, it's odd man, it's an odd man rush or uh, a counterattack, you slow him down to help let your other defenders get back. That's how you stave off a counterattack. And he just seems to do that pretty well. Now, when he is playing on the wing, and he's had very skilled players go against him, very skilled wingers go against him. And he seems to at least to force them out. He doesn't fall for a lot of the tricks. 
Um, I did see one or two occasions where the defender got by him, but both those times I saw when the defender got by him or, you know, actually successfully dribbled past him, he dribbled past him directly into another Wolves defender. Vinagre seems to be very aware of his players, knows where his other defenders are. So if he does, if he is going to make a challenge or make a pressure, that he seems to always lead them into another Wolves defender the vast majority of the time. So defensively, I, I think he's smart. There, you know, he does make a couple mistakes here and there, but he's young. He can be a little bit over aggressive, but in terms of his his stature, in terms of uh, again, I'll compare him to Tsimikas. In terms of what he can offer, he's very similar to Tsimikas uh, in that respect. Great defensively and great ball skills. So I think the main thing for me is obviously that this is a loan. And I understand that we probably wouldn't have been able to buy Vinagre if we wanted to. I mean, as you said, the buyout clause for this loan is just too much for us to afford. I mean, it's way more than we got for Tsimikas and you know, we don't buy players that are that expensive. But obviously, one thing I'm thinking of is I can't, I don't really look forward to, you know, we're ne- we're sitting here next year, episode 151 of Gate 7 International Podcast, and we need a left back again. And 37-year-old Jose Jolebas is just still jetting down that wing and getting tired and, you know, hitting crosses way over the box. I understand that obviously the window is coming up very soon and there is nothing that could be done, but are you guys worried at all about the fact that this is just a loan deal? I'm here to ease all of your worries. I have the answers to all your worries. So, Mateus Rice, who I guess we sort of liked and we were flirting with, has about nine months left on his contract. He's running out of contract. And I think with this idiot president of Rayo Ave, we may be able to get Mateus Rice on a free transfer in January. So maybe he comes in. Another option is Guthrie plays extremely well in Germany, comes back and proves himself and and comes back into the team. And the German team doesn't buy him. I think this Vinagre option is a good option for the the year. We were getting desperate there with the antics that the president of Real Ave was playing with, with Rice, you know, we needed an option quick. You know, I hate to say it, but I did almost forget about Guterres, and I think it's just because it seems like Martins doesn't really have him in his plans. Hopefully that changes maybe if he has a nice loan. You know, it would have to be the type of loan that's not so nice that he gets bought, obviously. But certainly you're right, and if, you know, Guterres is back to what he was a couple years ago, we don't really have to worry about this. So the more I think about the Guterres deal, especially with respect to what we're dealing with now in the context, it's actually very smart. Here's why. One, Gutierrez literally has just recovered from a really nasty injury. As I mentioned in a previous podcast, I've had to, I've done that in both of my knees, and the 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 type of ligament damage he had on in his was very similar to my second one, where I tore almost everything. It's a very long recovery period, and it's really not a good idea for for us to have a player that just came back from injury like that to be inserted into the first team really not have a, a, a solid backup that can play day in, day out until he's in tip-top shape. Now, assuming that there is no issue between Gutierrez and Martins, it's better for us to loan him somewhere where there's a little bit less pressure on him. He can recover. Mm-hmm. He can try and get back, play well. And then if he does well, I'm not the, – the buyout – I haven't seen the actual buyout for Gutierrez, but the numbers I've seen thrown around – Dusseldorf, Fortuna Dusseldorf 
is not going to pay, especially if they don't get promoted, they are not paying for Kutri's. They're not buying out that loan. So I'm not super worried about that, but it's also an egg in a different basket. And now the issue with Mateus Rice, of course, as was already mentioned, the, the president's playing games, better to wait on him. But Ruben Vinagre is twice the player that Mateus Rice is. I mentioned when I did the deep dive on Rice, I wasn't super impressed with his offensive ability. Somebody that has gotten four before. He, defensively, I thought Mateus Rice was sound, but I wasn't really impressed about with him going downfield. Ruben has more skill on the ball than he does. So Mateus Rice might be that long-term option that we look to try and develop. Ruben Vinagre on a season-long loan gets us more than what Mateus Rice does, especially in the short term for a season-long outlook. Yeah, I think that's for sure good points. And one thing I've noticed in this transfer market is almost every loan player has an option. Have you guys noticed that? That yeah, and it's it's almost like a new development in football. Even if the option is so ridiculous that the player can't be bought, it's like that option is there. It's it's really strange. In the past, there used to be there's no option that's it we're not giving anyone the option to buy a player but i think every single loan we've done so far there's an option and every single loan that we've brought in will have an option on it it's maybe maybe the transfer market's changing but i just find that interesting i've noticed that especially this summer somebody i read some somebody was commenting on that out of the uk and they, they brought up a good point about how covid is kind of changing the landscape of the transfer market and that's a really good point. I'm curious to see what happens once things normalize, when COVID hopefully ends uh, in the near future. Again, hopefully. But when it's all over and things go back to normal, I'm curious to see if that's something that sticks around uh, as much as it has now. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. It's not a stretch to guess that those two trends are sort of linked. Now, heading on to another player that we have signed, and this is on a permanent deal. Uh, this would be none other than Tiago Silva. So we can do the chant. We can sing the song, all this exciting stuff. Now, obviously, this is Nottingham Forest midfielder Tiago Silva, but that's not as important. Um, however, you know, this is this is a nice signing. It's The interesting thing for me is this was rumored for a while. Obviously, Nottingham Forest, we have obvious connections with. And it was linked with a swap deal for Cafu, who was on the bench today and appears to be staying. Uh, so I guess we will just have both of them now. But either way, Silva's coming in. Now, he hasn't played since July, so don't expect to see him right away. But eventually, he might be able to play a role in this team. Adi, I think you watched some film on him as well. Now, what did you see and what did you pick out as far as what type of midfielder he could be for us, who he might play well with in the team? Obviously, that is important. And, and just what type of player do you think he is? So after seeing what happened today in the game against Yanina, I'm not going to go, of course, into that because we will later. But Tiago Silva will kind of fill the role that a lot of people have been looking for, us especially. We have been asking for a midfielder that can assist in breaking teams down, besides Madi, of course, besides Fortunis, another midfielder that can really do what Bukalakis can't. We've mentioned before Bukalakis is trying to play Martins is trying to get Bukalakis to play a more positive role in terms of the distribution of the ball. But yeah. he really, it's not something he's used to. And I really don't know if it's within his skill set. The ceiling is limited in terms of our upside with that. But Tiago Silva is the opposite of Bukalakis in that respect. He is very talented. He is not a ball winner, though, at all. I mean, he gets into 
very few like single digit defensive duels on terms of a game, uh, a game basis, not really pre- doesn't pressure the ball as much. And this might've been part of a reason why his, his playing time was kind of inconsistent with Nottingham Forest. You know, obviously in the championship, you do have to be a little bit more physical and you have to get involved with that as well. You have to be much more, you need to have more of those six attributes really to succeed or to be looked at for that. So with Tiago Silva, he has great ball skill and he can definitely play as an attacking mid. I actually think he probably was originally an attacking mid uh, to begin with. Yeah, I I have one question for you. And I saw this player comp from a few Olympiacos fans. I don't know if you remember him, but we had a small Portuguese midfielder a few years ago in the dark years, Andre Martins, I think his name was. Looking at the film, looking at the numbers, do you, do you think that we have a bit of another Andre Martins? He's kind of like an in-betweener. He couldn't play the 10, but he couldn't play the more central midfield because he was too small. I don't, I don't know. It's an interesting comparison. I wonder how close they are to each other. Yeah, the I, I understand where that comparison is coming from. I mean, of course, time will tell because part of the issue with Martins was consistency. We didn't always get the best performances out of him. Now, whether or not we get that out of Thiago Silva is going to be, you know, we'll fi- we're going to find out. But I think the context of what we need, what we require in the midfield right now, because we seem to have plenty of sixes, but the only real eight, the only real playmaker we have is Mari Camara. And we need another one. We need somebody else that we can throw on the field when we're playing these Greek teams that do nothing but park the bus, like today that can help us break them down, that has that ability to get forward but can still play deeper. So Tiago Silva, to me, can do that. I mean, he played he played for, I mean, in Nottingham Forest. I mean, and he used to, they used to rotate him in the game constantly. He would be playing further up the pitch. He'd be playing in the number 10 role. But he would be also sitting back. He can go box to box. And I like to see that. Again, he's not defensive, but he has the vision. I mean, there were maybe, I think, two games that I looked through and were watching some of the film on where he didn't have at least a shot assist or a key pass. He is pivotal to an offense, and he's con- he contributes a lot to it. Every game, every single game, he had some type of shot assist or key pass that led to a, a goal-scoring opportunity, to a shot, to a goal, and that's something that we're really missing out on right now from the midfield. So to sort of recoup with the midfield, we've got Jan and Villa, We've got Bukalakis. We're, we've got Kafu. As of, as of recording this, we've got Kafu. We've got Silva. We've got Madi. And we've got Pepe. Silva, for the record, has been officially announced by the club. He's an Olympiacos player. It seems like we have a lot of options, especially like, you know, I didn't say Fortunis because I'm sort of thinking in terms of the 4 3 3, which is the formation that we generally use. And then Fortunis kind of comes on and the formation changes. But in terms of the 4 3 3, I'm thinking. Envia or Bukalakis maybe as the six and maybe they don't play together as much. And then you could see Silva as the eight or one of those more forward looking midfielders. And then Kamara as sort of that most forward or even Kamara in more of an eight role and Pepe even further forward. Adi, what are your thoughts on that in terms of how Silva would fit in? Maybe Silva coming in means we have to see less of Envia and Bukalakis on the pitch together. I think you nailed it. I mean, we've already seen now. This was, I don't think this needed to be another case to see, but we, we've seen that Bukalakis and Avila just, that's 
too defensive for us. And Vila can't break down Greek Super League teams. He's great in possession, and he's going to be very important in our Champions League games. Believe that. Bukalakis will as well. That 4-3-3 that we had today, it will do, it will work. It's going to be more effective in Champions League games when we're playing better teams. But against the Greek Super League, we need more offensive tools. We need more creators besides Valbuena and Fortunis. And then, you know, Madi here and there stretching the field. We need more guys. We need more tools. We need more things in our toolkit that we can use to break these teams down. And Tiago Silva will do that. He has uh, something I haven't mentioned yet. He has speed. He has great pace and he can turn and change directions very quickly on the ball. He'll stretch the field and get to the byline also, just like Madi. Uh, you know, he's not going to do that all the time, but he can do it when the context calls for it. So this is what we need more of. And this is a guy that's going to help us be a little bit less frustrating to watch when we play these teams that park the bus in Greece. And I don't want to get into this too much because we will talk about today's unfortunate result against Yanina in a bit. But for me, Madi had some nice moments, but it also seems like at times he struggled to get involved. And I wonder if having another midfielder who is more attacking and more creatively minded might sort of take a bit of the pressure off of Madi and allow for, you know, a more fluid attack in terms of, you know, everything doesn't have to go through him going forward because it seemed he didn't jump out at me. He started to, I think, play a little better towards the end of the game, but he didn't really jump out at me. And maybe having another more attack minded midfielder could help in games against these teams in Greece. Yeah, and a player that I really want to see in that role is uh, Pepe, who you just mentioned. Um, I guess he's had some small injury, but should be back after the international break. But I'm really intrigued to see how he plays, and as well as Thiago Silva. I think the game today was really calling for new signings and new players and more creativity. I think we were just looking lackluster in that department in the first half, and we wasted another first half today. Um, we, we'll talk more about the game today, but was a bit frustrating on the creative end in the first half, especially. Peter, you just brought up a really, really, really important point. And this is kind of another thing. And I don't think, I know we mentioned it, but probably should mention it more often. But this is something that Guillerme did very well. Guillerme also would get forward. And Madi would have that outlet that could play that one-two with him and also wasn't afraid to get forward with the ball. Mm -hmm. This is something we took for granted. And you see, Bukalakis and Mvila don't always do that. You know, they might follow Madi to an extent, but by design, both of them are kind of sitting back a little bit, you know, and Bukharakis will do it once in a while, but not as much as Guillerme did and not as much as we want a midfielder like him to do when we're trying to break down a, a I should say, a very defensive team. Yeah, Bukalakis, you can tell he was doing it a little bit, and I certainly noticed he's playing differently than he has, say, last season, but... You can tell that's basically Martins telling him to do it. You know, it's not something that he is feels natural doing. I mean, this is a player who I believe when he was much younger was a center back. You know, he's not that's not his his natural role is to get really involved in going forward. Now you're seeing it more, and I don't think he's horrible at it, but it just isn't as natural as it was with Guillerme. But yeah, anyway, there's there's no yeah. one else to play that position yeah. at the moment. So yep. not not yet at least. Uh and then so that's the midfield. Obviously, we have we have one more BAM, one more big one. It's another loan. 
and he goes by the name of Armindo Tue Nabangna. He's better known as Bruma. He is a player who we have received on loan from PSV Eindhoven in the Netherlands. There's a 7 million euro option to buy. So a little bit more reasonable than Vinagre. I mean, whether we will exercise that would probably require him to have a very good season. But I think the comparisons between Bruma and one Joel Campbell have arisen as a result of this signing. Now, it's a very interesting case. Once again, another pretty young player coming in that we will really just have to see what he can do. Adi, what do you have on Bruma? Well, as far as the comparisons to Joel Campbell, I think he could have that type of effect because for those that remember when Joel Campbell was here, that was the year we went and ended up playing against Manchester United in the round of 16. We also had uh, Vladimir Weiss at the time. You know, we really had two wingers before we sold Weiss to the Middle East that looked, that could really take players on and were pretty successful at it as well. Uh, Joel Campbell had, I think, I think he right now, or if I'm comparing Joel Campbell when we had him and Bruma from the tape I've watched, Joel Campbell was a little bit more polished as a player. You know, we're not, unfortunately, Olympiacos is not in a position where we're going to get completed you know, completely finished products constantly. We have to look for these diamonds in the rough where we say, hey, this guy has a lot of upside. You know, he makes some mistakes here. He's got some issues here, but we can work on that because the upside is up here. And this means that we can get this much value out of him. So Bruma is that type of guy. In terms of his dribbling skill, he is very competent. He might seem a little awkward here and there. Uh, I mean, but he changes direction really fast. He is quite slippery and he's got speed too. And the nice thing is he's not just one of these guys that has some foot skill and speed, but can get thrown off the ball. He's very physical as well. And, and you'll see, you'll see when he starts training, you'll see on the pitch. I mean, he's not tiny, you know, he has, he's got some size to him, which is, which is good. Uh, and the vision is there too. I mean, it, you know, when I first started watching the tape at first, I was like, Oh, he dribbles, but nothing seems to turn out what's going on here. But as I watched it and I was rewatching he is cutting out the runs. He sees the runs when they're happening. Now, some of his through balls obviously get are a little bit too close to the defender and they get cut out, but the vision is there. So he is very good at playing out on the wings, stretching the field, biding time, and watching the runs of the defenders with his teammates to see where they're going. So that is good. That's what I want to see. And really the most important thing, I think, when it comes to Martins is how, how much he contributes into getting the ball into the penalty area. Now, this might, this might be confusing to some people because it's not really something we've talked about a lot except maybe the first episode of this podcast. In the first episode of this podcast, it might even have been the third, when we talked about Simikas and, and what Simikas did so well, we brought up an article that was written by a Liverpool journalist, uh, a beat writer about Simikas and what he had to offer the team. And in, in, in that uh, article that he wrote, he also discussed how Martin seems to prefer quantity over quality. And he's right because one, I mean, again, there is a ceiling. There is a, a very noticeable ceiling and limit to the type of quality we can get at Olympiacos. We either have to develop players ourselves or we have to find diamonds in the rough. So if you are in Martin's position, you have to play the odds a little bit. So you have to see, okay, is this player going to get me the ball in the box? Yes. You know, we're, we, we're not going to get Ronaldo's, you know, we're not going to get amazing wingers 
in our in our lifetime at Olympiacos. You know, not until some things change and more money starts flowing into Greece or at least into the team. So we have to get players that can stretch the field, get down the field, and play the ball into the box. This is something he does very, very, very well. For PSV, he gets he is the leader. He is the team leader in terms of balls, uh, opportunity creation with balls going into the penalty area. That means he plays the most balls into the penalty area on the team. This is very important. This is what Martins wants because he knows as long as we get a bunch of balls played into the box, something's got to go in. And it's a numbers game he's playing with that respect. I am so excited for this transfer. This is what we call a BAM, people. This is a BAM. And I'm just so happy that I don't have to watch Masuras and Rangelovic on the wing during league games, unable to create anything and just looking competent for 45 minutes before they're subbed out. This is so exciting. I'm excited to see his dribbling ability. I'm excited to see him run at people. And I was wondering, you know, it, it is typical Greek to compare Bruma to Podense. Is there any sort of comparison? Are they any similar as players? Is that a thing? No, not at all. Okay. Um, well, the Greek media will still do it, but that's okay. No, yeah. The, the, it, there's no comparison to him and Podensa. And it's not, it's not to say that he doesn't have skill. It's not to say that he doesn't have potential either. But Podensa was... Look, we were really freaking lucky to get him. The, the, what happened with sporting, you know, and the manner with which we got Podensa, that doesn't happen very often. So we... Normally, a player like Podensa would never have come to Olympiacos. We would never have been able to afford him. We got really lucky. Now, Podenza had his quirks. Remember, the first season that we had Podenza, he kind of dribbled himself into corners a lot. You know, he didn't, he wasn't really as positive. He still had a lot of assists, still had a lot of playmaking capability, but he made a lot of mistakes. But everybody knew, even then, even though we used to get annoyed at him dribbling himself into corners, sometimes, you know, holding up play a little bit, we knew we had a player there. I mean, you could see the, the talent was there. And then, you know, when the second season, you know, at the end of that second season or that first season, I'm sorry, and the beginning of the second season before we sold him, I mean, he had changed. Martins had got him out of that, had him playing more with the team, more positive purpose to all of his movements. And, and you saw, I mean, Podence, we knew he was gone. We knew there was no way we were keeping him past the first season. We were at we st I still think we were lucky to keep him past the first season. But, hey, you know, we knew we weren't keeping him past the second now, Bruma is just, it's, he's different because Bruma doesn't have the low center of gravity that Pudence does. He doesn't have the same control of the ball at his feet, especially when he's going downfield. Now, what he does have that Pudence doesn't have is a, uh, I'll say he has, he does have a little bit better of a shot and he, he, he likes to stretch the goalkeepers a little bit more. Pudence, at the moment, if we're comparing the two, Pudence is, clear, is, is by far, he's a better player. He is. But there's, there's something here with Bruma. There's something we can develop. When he crosses the ball right now from what I've seen, I mean, he's he kind of like will lose his footing attempting to be, to, you know, to, to do some of those step overs and stuff. And he'll lose his footing and just try to get the ball off when he can. Stuff like that can be worked on. And I guarantee Martins is going to. Martins is going to get him in training working on, look, you just beat the guy and cross the ball in. And he's going to work on the technical stuff with him. So, if we can work on that technical stuff with him, you know, the execution, I should say, just like with Madi, once we, once we work out the execution, you know, kind of get his technical ability there, we have a real player here.
but he's he's not he's a different player than Podence. He's a completely different type of winger. Adi, you mentioned that he's uh, got a bit better of a shot than Podence, uh, and I think we're about to start getting into the Yanina game. But we got to the four four two, and we put on a specific player who did nothing uh, in this game. Obviously, Broom is only five eight, but do you think you could see him in a four four two at the top with Ed Arabi or another striker that we have? So in the in the film I watched, it appeared that PSV did play a couple of different formations, and and it didn't matter what formation they played. He he stuck out wide, and there didn't seem to be like super consistent. Well, I mean they approached different games differently, I should say, right? But in each game, I mean he didn't seem to have too much of an issue changing or adjusting. I mean if you had to go to the byline, he went to the byline and get a cross off the cross again. Didn't always come off well, but he did it. Uh, now, going back to his shots, I don't know if I should say he necessarily has a better shot. Only because, remember, Podenza's shots were weak. I mean, that's one thing we all said. Look, Podenza, if he can just work on his shot and get something that doesn't look like a child is lobbing the ball to me, then we you have a play a real true all-around threat at winger. But Podenza couldn't do that. Now, Bruma's got power. He does. He has power behind his shot. It's just where does it go? You know, that's the type of stuff he has to work on. So, but if we play a 4-4-2, I, I think he's fine. I think he'll be fine at it. I mean, he can stretch the field, take the def- the defenders on. You know, if no one's around him, he's dribbling. He's taking the defenders on. And he seems to have the self-control if there are players around, not to just do it all himself like Podenzi used to do, but he'll, he'll you know, work with the teammates and play the ball. Gotcha. Well... It's actually, I do have news breaking right now. We have one more BAM. Mitro Glue is indeed coming. No, psych. I'm just joking. Oh. I know you were all excited, ready to go. Oh, but, my God. How um, dare you, sir? Anyway, speaking of needing a striker, let's get into today's game against Yanina. Now, we've we've been in a fairly upbeat mood talking about the transfers, but, I mean, this game was, there were there were no happy faces watching this game, I don't think. It was... Uh, it was a bit of a disgusting one to watch. Obviously, we drew with Yanina, a team who spent last season in the second division, 1-1. There were some antics with the officiating right at the end of the game where there was a very controversial decision with an offside. There was a missed chance by, by one Ahmed Hassan in the 80th minute that I think any of the three of us could have finished if we were in that position. There was a goal by Yanina very, very, very early on in the game. So we basically spent... A majority of we we weren't up for any of this game. We spent the pretty much all the first half and a bit of the second half trailing before we finally equalized. It was just very upsetting game for a whole lot of reasons. I don't want to talk about it too much, mainly just because it's a lot of the issues that we've really been talking about for the last few weeks. The fullbacks are old and we need to rotate them. Martins doesn't rotate enough in general. You know, these things like Lazar is not consistent enough. I think he was all right today, but we need that end product from the wingers. It's just all the same issues. It's the same stuff that's been happening every time. Hopefully some of the new players can come in and fix this stuff. But, you know, it's a, it's a really upsetting result because we want to keep, keep winning games and stay on top of the league. But this is what happens when, when we uh, don't have all the players we need. Exactly, Peter. Like that first half, it was just like this is the same exact expletive that we had been watching for how many weeks in a row we knew that was going to happen, starting with that 4-3-3 with MV and Buhalakis together. And one comment I read on Twitter, it was in Greek, and I don't remember who posted it, but a guy said, 
oh, Martin's maybe going with his 4-3-3 with Envia because we have an international break coming up. And right after that, we go back into Europe. Maybe he's using this because, hey, there's no time to prepare that 4-3-3 before Europe. Maybe this is a way of getting players more used to it because that is what we're going to be using in Europe. So, okay, if that's the argument, I understand. But it just does not work in the league, especially with Buhalaki as your second creator behind Maddie in the midfield. It's just, it's useless. And it's not even that strong defensively in Greece because I think the players just lose their positional awareness even more because they're trying to create more. And it's just... It's just a mess in, of a formation in, in 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 Greece, at least, and it was frustrating to watch. Yeah, you're you're spot on, Lambro, about the midfield, and you know we've obviously discussed them a little bit already with Bukalaki's doing things that have never really been asked of him before and whatnot. And we've talked about the fullbacks as well. Now we haven't act, we've mainly uh, criticized Hodevas, and I want to say neither of the fullbacks themselves, neither of the players, are at fault. They're Older players in the club knew this when they signed them, and it has taken very long to find a replacement. So I'm not necessarily... When, when we criticize Jodeos, we are not upset with him. But, I mean, neither of these guys were getting across anywhere near the box where they needed to be. It was a bit upsetting. The right-back driver that we had signed was included in the big 23-man squad, but wasn't on the bench or in the starting lineup at all. I was hoping he would get a game today, even though I know we talked about how he is not a super-polished crosser, but, like, Rafinha needs some rest, man. And you can start to see it now. I think maybe he's in a little bit better fitness than Jolivas, but like he's played a lot of games as well, and it's starting to wear on him. He's not going to be the option every time. So I think the fullbacks are a big issue. But you know, we have Vinagre coming in, we have Dragger. We've talked about the fullbacks forever. You know, I don't really want to discuss it anymore. That was obviously a big thing with today's result. Of course. And I mean, before I continue, credit where it's due. I mean, Yanina. Last week, they upset Adis as well. I mean, they came out the gate and had two goals in 20 minutes. Uh, Adis ended up in the second half coming on and, uh, you know, really coming out to, to take the game back and ended up tying it 2-2. But we're not the first, I should say, you know, one of the big big five teams of Greece that's been upset by Yanina even this year. It just happened last week. So credit where it's due. I mean, they see in the first half, Yanina goes balls to the wall almost and uh, seem to seem to be able to catch people by surprise. The disappointing thing for me, and I can accept that, you know, okay, we have to try the 4-3-3 out because we have the international break coming up, and then right after that literally is Champions League. I can accept that. However, Greece, you know, we're still trying to win the Super League. This, this, this isn't a toy, okay? This isn't just a recreational league that we play in for fun. We are still trying to win this, and we have competition for it, okay? So it's one thing to say, okay, we need to do this, but then you have to manage the game then if it's not going well and have a plan if it's not going well to win it. And the managerial changes, first of all, we have five subs this year, don't we, in the Greek Super League, and we only use two. Unacceptable. That is unacceptable. Yeah, and we talked about that before, and it's it's easy to forget and, it, you know, the obvious change was made with Fortunis coming on. I, it seems to happen every time. <laughs> you know, we, we don't score and then oh, get Fortunis on. And it worked to a degree because we did get a goal. But I think we just needed to do more. Even, like, I was watching the game and I wasn't, there wasn't anyone where I was particularly like, get in the bin, we need to sub you off. There wasn't, for me, 
a specific formation change that I wanted to see. For me, fresh legs would have been okay. And, you know, we've, we've given Masuras a bit of a stick, but Masuras on for Valbuena would have been a change that I wasn't upset with just to get a fresh player in there, especially that with Fortunis on the pitch. Um, Brazilian Bruno for either of the fullbacks just to get fresh legs. Like, these are things that... I agree. You know, we don't need to alter anything, but, like, literally, we have so many 35-plus players on the pitch, and, like, them 75 minutes into a game is not better than a replacement. I'm sorry. Like, maybe Valbuena is, but even then, we also need to watch his fitness so he can play in the big games. I mean, it's just we need to be making those changes, even if it's just a like for like, like I would have even been okay with seeing Kafu come on uh, for Bukalakis or something. Just anything to get fresh legs on would have been nice. We literally have these changes. We're not where we want to be in the game. Something needs to change and just didn't really happen. And also Sudani was on the bench. Like I would take one legged Sudani over Hassan. That's another point to make, but yeah, Kafu, I feel like this game was calling out for him. I feel like his physicality and just his pressing, that's like one of the few things he's good at, you know, and I think this game was calling out for it. I think it, we were dying there at the end. There was a, I wouldn't say a drop of energy, but like some fresh legs would really have helped. And I think the point about Bruno at either fullback would have been so nice. The fullbacks were incompetent today. Like they're just, I, I think that bailed us out so much last year looking back now that they offered us with, you know, we were, we were so narrow there. Once we went with four, four, two with Fortunis and Valbuena on the wing, there was just no width being offered and it was just hard to watch. And I, I, I think, I think Dragger, if he was on the bench would have been great to see him come on and just yes. blow past people on the right wing. It would have been, I don't know, just frustrating to watch this game. Folks, are we, uh, are we going to do this? Are we going to get into Hassan? Should we, should we just get it out of the way? Adi, Adi is eager to go. I know uh, he's been outspoken in the past. So Adi, Adi, I'll just let you have the floor here on Hassan. Even if Hassan scored the goal, even if they let it go. So we won't touch the ref decision. Even if he scored, I still would hate Hassan. I hate him as a player. I did not want us to buy him. We bought him. We spent way too much money for him. And again, you, you like it, it amazes me how some Greeks will, you know, they will still swear by it. But you see when he doesn't score, he offers you nothing. And he, you know, I'm not going to blame the refs for why we lost. Okay, does it suck? And it was a game-breaking goal? Yes. But let's not forget what Hassan missed maybe 10 minutes earlier. Unacceptable. He is useless. That He is a useless player. Useless. Literally, and if you're going to use him in the team, you just have to keep giving him service. You need to get guys that cross the ball in. But it seems like when Hassan plays, we don't really do that a lot. And he he's just a he is a he is a striker that sits in the box, physical, and just can get a, a foot or a head on the ball to score when the service is given to him. He frustrates me to high heaven. I hope to God I don't have to see him play again another situation like this. So useless. He is so incredibly useless. And that chance he missed was incredible. Oh, my days. How did he not even get it on target? How did he not even get it on target? He's. I'm just done with it. I'm so done with it. I would prefer Guerrero 100% over Hassan. I thought 
I thought Guerrero actually does, other than scoring goals, he actually does things that help the team. And with as a second striker, I think he's better than Hassan. It's just so frustrating to watch. It's just, it's terrible. And we don't even have to look to Guerrero because we had Kuipers, I believe, on the bench. Now, we saw Kuipers for 45 minutes, I think, in the last league game. Wasn't amazing, wasn't really super involved. But, like, guys, it's Hassan we're comparing him to. I mean, give the guy 20 minutes. And also, Lambert, you, you touched on it. When you're playing in a 4-4-2, I, I get, obviously, you want to throw another striker on when you want a goal. It, it's an obvious known fact in football. But you can't just put any two strikers up there together and expect it to work, right? There has to be some sort of give and take. And Hassan is just going to sit there and, and stand in the box. He doesn't really do well when he gets the ball, exactly. Like, he doesn't do anything with it. He can't really dribble. He can't really pass. El Arabi can do a little bit, but he's also the guy that we want scoring the goals. So he's not going to be the one, you know, coming in and sort of playing off and letting Hassan sit and take all the crosses. Like, I would so, so, so much rather see Kuipers in there. And if we are going to see Hassan, I would honestly rather see him in just a one striker formation if we needed to do that for some reason uh you know if El Rabi and Kuipers are injured or something I'd prefer that than the 4-4-2 with Hassan because it just doesn't suit him at all you want a different type of striker in that position when you're playing that formation and I I just think he's finally being exposed you know so many Greek football fans and Olympiakos fans were so amazed by him because he tapped in goals against lower league sides he never produces in the big games sometimes he scores against Ike tap in goals against Ike good stuff Hassan but he's useless he 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 is a fraud I'm 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 going all out he's a fraud and he doesn't deserve to be in the team Kuipers should be starting over him I don't care if he scores tap-ins or a header every other game he does nothing. He is useless. He is useless. It's 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 time. He's done. Sudani should be back in the team, and he should be the second striker off the bench, if anything. It's just a, a mess. Yeah, I, the frustration. I, I don't have an issue with him coming on, okay, because we have seen in the past in situations like this, he can nick a goal in. So I'm okay. I'm okay with, all right, you know what? You want to throw you want to throw Kuka on, play two strikers. Fine. But here, here's another problem. Here are players that are still on the bench that didn't get subbed in. Remember, we only used two subs. Sudani, you guys remember how clinical he was before the injury. Why not give him a shot? Mm -hmm. Maxi Lovera, okay. I know he just recovered from COVID. And, you know, I know that there's been a lot of reports about even young, very fit people kind of having issues recovering and getting to that previous physical state i don't know maybe if that's the case but if he's on the bench as a substitute he's meant to be used right so he can't be in horrible shape especially for the last 10 minutes of a game throw him on there he's got ball skill he can get in the box he can take a shot or two i i i just don't understand i don't understand what what was happening here you you relied i mean as martins are you really just relying on hassan to bail you out of this game unacceptable it's unacceptable you know for, and for a second really for a second i really believed martins learned from his mistakes the last two seasons and finally was becoming a real game manager and then we have 
then we have this game. And it's literally just Martins, like original Martins season one all over again. And regardless of who's the best option, giving these guys who are coming back from injury and trying to work into the team, giving them 20 minutes is exactly what these players need. And I get that it's a game that we're not winning, but it's a good time to do it because both of those guys have had a creative spark in the team when they were healthy. Like, I, I'm just not going to listen to you if you're going to sit here and tell me that Hassan is a better better player to bring in than Sudani when Sudani would just get goals and not just tap in goals in the 85th minute off luck, like big goals. And he would create stuff for other players. And he's such a dynamic player. Lavera is the same. He can sometimes disappear out of games, but sometimes he scores big time goals, like exciting goals from outside the box. You know, they need to get that fitness back in. You're, you can't, they need to do it sometime. And, you know, now's a, a very good time to do that. But it's just a shame that, you know, we had so many options. We had so many changes to make and, and it was Hassan again. We can't really rely on luck for the games like this forever. It's going to run out. Yep. And I think, I think Martins was really just trying to limp into this international break and get the, the new signings integrated into the team and was just hoping to pull this one out, you know, is like, okay, this is the last game we're going to go with this makeshift lineup. We're going to produce the real lineup going forward after the transfer window closed. But I just think he got caught out by this Yanina team, which is actually quite good. And, you know, a lot of times when we look at 1-1 or a draw with Olympiakos in a lower to mid-table side in Greece, it's, okay, the team parked the bus and we can break them down. They were playing some nice stuff there. They were pressing pretty high up. Um, I felt even Rafinha was playing pretty, like, he got nervous on the press and Semedo too. I was kind of surprised. And, of course, not to, to call him out too much, but Solakis looked like he was struggling as well, being put under pressure. He had a few sh just really poor handling mistakes. And when the ball came to his feet, he didn't do so well. I would definitely, I know Torlakis has done so well as a backup recently, but I would I would say Christensen needs to go go forward as the second keeper from here on out. I think Torlakis would benefit from playing under on the youth team for a little bit longer. With Torlakis, and I'm not super concerned about it because we do have other options. Um, but yeah, one thing I noticed is that he likes to bat away the ball. He doesn't catch it a lot. Uh, and sometimes it works out for him. There was one... Uh, I think it was the the striker with the mohawk for Yanina put a shot out of the box. So Laki sort of hit it up and then caught it. Um, and that's fine, but it's also a bit risky. And there was another one where sort of the same thing happened and he batted it away and it kind of just fell in the box. Luckily, Semedo was there to just boot it out of the penalty box and nothing happened to it. Then there was also that one where he really mishandled it. It seemed like he didn't even get his hand on it as much as he wanted to, and it almost rolled into the goal. Like, it was very, very, very close. It was on the line, and he came and dove and sat on it and prevented it from going in. I mean, yeah, we like we don't expect anything out of him. He's super, super young. I think, yeah, maybe, honestly, a loan might not be a bad idea. I think he could certainly cut it at some of these smaller clubs in Greece as a starting goalkeeper. And I think Christensen... I also think Solakis is... is Probably good enough to be a backup. I mean, he's better than Bobby Allen. And, um, but the thing is, Christensen is also, uh, he seems to also be capable just to be a backup goalkeeper. So 
I'm not really sure. I think at the end of the day, I hope Saw is better for big Champions League matches because, you know, it's a guy that we can trust and we know is is just absolutely amazing in the big moments. But yeah, a little bit of a coming down to earth for Sodakis today after a couple of really nice performances. And it's it's kind of what you have to expect. I'm not really that worried about it. Neither am I. It's definitely confidence. It's a confidence thing with him. I mean, when you see goalkeepers, especially some less experienced ones, you know, looking to bat away, they're not comfortable trying to take the ball into their hands. You know, that's most of that's confidence. And I think as he builds up that confidence, you know, uh, that's not going to be an issue. He's got talent. He's He's got talent as a goalkeeper. Maybe alone will do him good. Maybe having more more games with the, you know, I'd rather him stay on a senior side somewhere instead of the youth side. So I'd rather him see like a loan maybe in, in that respect or even getting more appearances like this against like lesser teams. It's good. It's good experience for him. And I don't think on a normal basis that we would suffer too much from that. So I'm personally, I don't want to talk about this game too much because it's going to make me sad. Do we want to do man of the match and coaching grade for this one? I think coaching grade is maybe something that we could have some opinions on. I personally can't think of a man of the match off the top of my head, but you know, I could do some thinking about it. I think, I, I mean, again, it's difficult because with the game having just finished, we don't have player data, right? So we really can't see, you know, specifically what happened and kind of put context to that. So I think the, I mean, the closest thing for a man of the match would be, for me, it's in the context of the game, who did the most, right? Or who did, yeah, who did the most and who really did things that could have changed the fate of the game? That's really the question here. You know, yeah. who, who got us those opportunities at the closest to, to winning the game? So for me, that would probably be Fortunis. Yeah, because I was literally, he say. Yeah. comes on, comes on, and within minutes, boom, assist to El Arabi for that first goal. I'm trying to remember. I'm not going to lie to you. I have a pretty dodgy stream uh, that I was watching this on. There was a ball... Oh, and it was either him or Bukalakis who played it. And I'm kind of just guessing it was him because this is what Fortunis does. But it was a really nice ball over the top to El Arabi. El Arabi got one-on-one with the goalkeeper. And then the goalkeeper, like, got in the ball with his hands. And El Arabi went down and, and was shouting for a penalty. It was a beautiful, beautiful ball. I think it was Fortunis who played it. It was, yeah. Uh, it, it was, was. him, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. So that's another great opportunity that he caused. I actually think El Arabi, obviously he scored the goal, but... He kind of frustrated me a little bit, and I, I don't want to uh, dwell into this too much, but it seemed like he was dribbling too much at points. It seemed like he wanted to create another Omonia goal where he yeah, absolutely skins definitely. a defender. Because there were a couple, he got it in the box and he kept trying to dribble past people and then eventually didn't even get a shot off. And I was like, bro, just 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 fire it, at the, fire it on target. What's the worst that can happen? Um, hmm. You know, obviously he was looking to walk it into the goal, <laughs> but... You know, I think he could have had a couple more chances, but, you know, it's not a big deal. I think Fortunis is probably the best shout because even though he did only play the second half, there wasn't really anyone who played the whole game that was remarkable. Um, I think Valbuena was okay. I think El Rabi, who obviously scored the goal, was fine. But, you know, as I just said, not perfect. I think Lazar, he, I liked his action. I think he was active in the game personally, but, like, when it when it came to putting shots on target and getting crosses in the right positions. He just wasn't doing it. And at the end of the day, running around and and being active can only get you so far when you're a winger and the team needs goals. Right. Yeah. So, 
And I, and I agree with uh, Fortune. He says man of the match too, guys. Another person I would say is Ba. I thought had a pretty yeah decent game, and I I liked how passionate he was, and he was sliding into tackles and just talking a lot to the past players. You know, a lot of players just take these games off, and he never takes a game off. And I think that's because of where he came from and what he has become. He really just, yep. I, 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 I think he knows what it's like playing these like lower games and how important it is to like that got him into the team. You know that that is how he got into the team. So he doesn't take any game off, which is quite nice to see. Well, in France, Ba was basically in the bottom of the table. So he was on the other side of a lot of these games. Um, but yeah, we love Ba here at the Gate 7 International Podcast. Congratulations to him, by the way, for earning his first call-up to the Senegalese national team. Hopefully, well-deserved. Well and Cissé is there as well. Obviously, they have Koulibaly, who's a world-class center back. But my God, guys, if we see a Senegal lineup with Ba and Cissé at the back, I might watch that instead of Greece. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I mean, that would be <laughs> that would be so cool to see. And And... What a story for Ba. It really gets me emotional just thinking about the opportunity that he's got and how well he's played. I mean, he always gives it his all. Um, even even when he, ha he makes his mistakes, you know, I find it hard to say a bad thing about him. But anyway, with regards to the coach's grade, you know, we were pretty nice to Martins in the, the results that were good, obviously. Um, but today, I think I might go a little bit lower just because, yes. you know, we talk about what a coach's grade entails. It's do you pick things out and make the according adjustments in the game, whether it's tactical tweaks or substitutions? And he did make some changes, but he didn't make all the changes that were there for him. And it seems like he didn't really pick out some things that needed to be changed. So I'm going to go with like a C, C minus here. That's, that's what I think I'll say. Obviously, the, the result is not entirely his fault. Like at the end of the day, he was, he was pretty much going to have to play Jose Jolivas at left back. And the midfielders that we've been talking about aren't healthy. It's not entirely his fault, but I think he could have done better. I agree with that. So, again, you know, when we break down the coaching grade, the lineup, okay, 4-3-3 with, with Madi, Bukalakis, and Avila. For me, if I'm, if, I'm approaching, if I'm approaching a grade for him, did he, was he tactically set up to win the game? Now, ideally, that 4-3-3 setup, even with those players, should be more than enough for any Greek team, let's be honest. However, and, you know, I, I do accept the excuse that he's got to prepare this for Europe. Fine. With that in the consideration, I won't knock him any points for that starting lineup, even though I don't like that starting lineup. But fine. That's fine. I won't knock him for that. First sub had impact. Fortuny's direct impact. Boom. Good. Good thing. We can even argue to a point that Hassan had impact, right? He gets subbed on. If he doesn't get subbed on, who, does anybody else get into those opportunities where the ball gets played into him and then we have the controversial goal called back or the one that he just completely muffed. So, you know, was there some impact there? Yes. Cause there were opportunities for them, but did he finish them? And, and whether or not the player finishes those or actually does something does have an, does impact the coach's decision. Did you play a player that can actually do it? And unfortunately Hassan didn't do it. So I'm not, I, I initially, I was so upset. I was going to give Martins an F especially because he didn't use five subs. That's a huge knock for not using all of his subs. Yeah, 100%. But now that I'm a little bit calmer and I'm a little bit more logical, I'm probably going to give him I'm probably going to give him a C minus for that. Yeah, I was I was going to give him a D plus actually. You're being nicer than me. The, the the subs just made no sense to me and I guess Masuras didn't make the bench 
is oh, something to remember um, because he had some sort of knock or something. I forget what it was, but that's like one of his favorite subs. So I, I guess <laughs> that's that's one reason he didn't make a third sub. And also, yeah, the formation is just too negative and there's not enough rotation. We Rafinha should have sat again or even Jolebas. I, I, I think we talked about how Dragger can be both sides. I think he's got that Bruno Gaspar element. He can play on the left if needed. I would have played him. I'm just the whole bus experiment again. I'm just growing tired of it. It would have been nice to see him on the bench. I actually did not know that Masuras wasn't on the bench. I think I said a while ago that we could have put him on. Martins definitely would have put him on if he was on the bench. So that makes a little bit more sense now. Anyway, enough about that game. Let's talk about Champions League just a little bit. We talked in the midweek series about how the groups are going to shake up for everyone, and obviously with Europa League as well. Uh, we have our group for Champions League. Now, we talked about what we wanted, and the good news is we don't have Barcelona and Juve in our group. So, Adi, you were wrong. That's not what happened. And we are we are very happy that you were wrong about that. The bad well, news is... Manchester City. Yeah, the bad news is it's Manchester City. <laughs> now, we do, to, to our credit, we did get Porto from, ta- from Pot A, or pot one, or whatever it's called. Of the teams in pot one, that's that's a pretty good draw. I mean, this this pot is either the Champions League winner, the Europa League winner, or the champions of all the top leagues in Europe. So Porto was one of the worst teams that we could have got, and we got them in our group. It's nice. Also, I think Lambro mentioned last week, Pedro Martins going back to his home is a fun story. Then, of course, pot two comes in, and we get Manchester City the big boys with the money out there in Manchester. This is going to be, you know, a team that we're, we're going to be lucky to take points off, especially with no fans in Athens. Um, you know, obviously no fans at the Etihad, basically a regular game for them, but no fans in Athens is a big change. And uh, that's a tough one, but you know, oh, yeah. we only need to be second, right? Like I, I'm not going to be disappointed with second, certainly. And then the pot four team we got is Marseille. We discussed how we have a Marseille guest coming on to discuss the team. Marseille is probably one of the better teams in pot four, but the name of the club might be a little bit more scary than the team actually is. And I think Adi has some points to discuss on Marseille's results going into the season this year and why it might not actually be that horrible of a draw from pot four compared to some of the other teams in that pot. Yeah, so Marseille, especially the last couple of weeks, are not in the best of form. Uh, they have a bunch of draws. You know, they're sitting right now, uh, I think, 10th in the French League. And quite literally, they started the season off pretty well. I mean, they, you know, they, they beat uh, Brest. They beat uh, uh, PSG, uh, that, very, that very controversial game where, like, five people got thrown out. Uh, fists were flying. Um, alleged racist remarks towards uh, Neymar by one of their players, uh, you know. So they start. I mean, they start off with two wins, but then they lose to Saint Etienne. They draw Lille. They draw Mets, and then they also drew against uh, Lyon today. Uh, today that it was uh, uh, Dimitri Payet. He scores, and then literally two, three minutes later gets a red card. So they're they're in a bit of a slump and this is good for us you know hopefully the slump continues the unfortunate thing is obviously we're going into the international break so i'm hoping that that continues after the international break when we get to play them uh this marseille look they're the toughest team in 
in the in pot four. But I think I think it's a team that we can that we can match up against. You know, they're not invincible. We've played we played better teams last year. Tottenham is a better team than Marseille, in my opinion. I think many would agree. Bayern Munich. We went toe to toe with Bayern Munich. You know, 70 minutes of one leg and almost a full game. We were one Podence miss shot away from drawing them in Athens. So if we can play with them, guys, we can play with we can play with Marseille. Um, you know, they they line up, uh, they've lined up a couple games. I think it was in a 4-1-4-1. Um, they have some players that are that are obviously we need to watch out for. Pyatt is one of them. So I think we play our game. We, you know, I think we have the capability to outpossess them. I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. Uh, Marseille, I, I've watched two of their game, the last two of their games, and I'm not. It's not a team that I'm scared of. You know, no, not to say this, that there's a bad team. You know, in this case, this group that we've gotten, we actually have a shot at getting set at you know second place in the group. Whereas last year, we pretty much knew, guys, third place is the only reasonable expectation between Tottenham and Bayern Munich. Mar but we can take these guys. We can play against them. It's not going to be easy, and you know we are likely to cop a loss. We're likely to get fourth in the group, but Marseille we can play with, guys. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. You know, you mentioned last year we didn't have any hope of getting second. This year we do. I think last year we were very much sort of holding to third. Now, Red Star, we respect Red Star. They're our Orthodox brothers, as we always say. But, like we felt pretty confident, at least I think the three of us did, that we were going to get third. This year, we could be second, we could be fourth. We could also finish third again. Now, Lambro, you've been to France recently. Marseille is a big club in France. Do you have any thoughts on the group and the draw? Um, so it was a bit strange once we got that third. Also, I need to say that I predicted two out of the three teams. I deserve congratulations. You did. You did. You got the closest. It's because I have sources in Geneva, and Didier Drogba told me before he drew us out who our uh, teams would be. Legend. But anyway, yeah, so it's an interesting group. And to be honest, us just dropping points today, I think every single team in the group dropped points this weekend as well. I think Manchester City dropped points against Leeds United. Porto lost to another Portuguese team. And, of course, Marseille had this draw against Lyon, who is one of their biggest rivals, very close cities, both in uh, southeastern France, I would say, and um, two teams that Matthew Valbuena played for. Yeah, so this was a huge game for French football. It was in prime time here Sunday night. Um, kind of strange red card from Dimitri Payet left his foot in, and it was pretty high up on the ankle and got a straight red for it. Some people thought it was a little soft. But yeah, Marseille is an interesting team from the French people I've spoken with, it seems that um, they're really struggling to go forward. They like to counterattack, and when they can't counterattack, which is against a lot of smaller French teams, they deeply struggle. So it's going to be interesting how we line up. And this game in Athens is do or die. This first game is everything to play for. It was. It's almost like that Tottenham game to start the season. I'm, I, I'm hoping the team's ready to go because if we lose that game or drop points, I think it's over for second place. We need to give everything for that win. That's going to be a massive game. Yeah, and of course, that involves Matthew Valbuena returning to a team where he spent a few years, obviously, way, way back when, earlier in his career. Another interesting thing to note is we do have Porto, who 
have uh, they've brought in the left back Zaidu, who we were briefly linked with, and that is as a replacement for Alex Tellez, who seems to be on his way to Manchester United. Nothing is uh, officially confirmed aside from Fabrizio Romano tweeting it, but it seems like that deal might be happening. So could be some good business for Olympiacos with that news going through if Porto are without one of the better left backs in football right now and Alex Tellez. Obviously, that weakens their team a little bit, but Porto are a, a pretty strong team with a lot of well-known players. They've made runs in the group stage of Champions League relatively recently with the same core, but I think this is a team that we can handle, to be honest, especially, you know, we play them twice. I could definitely, I definitely think we'll knock off of them at some point. And uh, I think second is realistic for Olympiacos. Obviously, I'm biased, but I liked this draw. It certainly could have been much worse. I think there were maybe one or two groups that I would have preferred, but I like this draw. I think we can get second. And if we get third, that's not so bad either because we can make a run. We can win Europa League. Yeah, I think I think this is a great draw for second place. I think this this opens the window for us. And as you said, Peter, Alex Tellez may be out the door at Porto, as well as midfield, uh, central defensive midfielder Danilo Portuguese International. Looks like Paris Saint-Germain could be going in for him. So it could be a weakened Porto team by the deadline. So I don't know. It's all to play for again. Fourth place is just as easy as second place in this group, which is just a strange thing to think about. Um, but it, and and I'm I'm disappointed, you know, for for the fans. For I think this needs to be mentioned. This is such a great traveling group, going to Manchester, going to Porto, which is a beautiful city, and again Marseille right by the water here uh, in France. And it would have been great to have fans away at these games. And I, I would assume the supporters of the other teams would have loved to travel to Greece. It's really disappointing. And one of the best parts of the Champions League group stage is everyone going around to different countries. So it's going to be disappointing to not have that this year. Also, from a purely tactical perspective, obviously playing in Greece gives us a massive, massive advantage against these teams. You know, I think the fact that we don't have fans is probably going to be more detrimental to Olympiakos or other teams in Greece, even, you know, a lot of teams in that region, than it would be for Manchester City, who, as uh, mentioned before, don't really have a super passionate fan base, especially in the city of Manchester. You know, having to play these teams in Karaiskaki when it's quiet is, is just so different than playing them in a massive atmosphere. And we saw that when we competed with the best team in Europe last year in Bayern Munich, and we took points off Spurs in Athens. It's just so different. So... That is unfortunate as well, but I still think we have a good shot. Yeah, I mean, Porto, obviously Porto's a team I'm scared of a little bit more than Marseille. Uh, but traditionally, we have matched up better against Portuguese teams than other uh, teams of other countries in the past. So this is that's why I wanted to, I, you know, in pot one, I preferred to draw Porto because just because of the matchup. So... As far as players that scare me from Porto in their in their opening three games of the season, um, they have a player named Sergio Oliveira. That's he kind of sits out sometimes on the left mid, sometimes on that right mid. He's definitely like a deep lying midfielder for them. He's a player that kind of scares me a little bit. But again, it's a Portuguese team. They kind of are slower build up, so I like the matchup against them a little bit better than I do some of the you know with most other teams. But this is definitely a team I think will match up well with. I'm a little bit more scared of. Porto than I am a team like Marseille. And Sergio Oliveira, of course, is a player who we know a little well. 
he played half half a season on loan with Pauk, if you guys remember, I think, if that's the right Sergio Oliveira. I hope it is. I think he came from Porto. Um, and, and yeah, I agree 100%. You know, Porto is definitely a good team, and, and they won the league in Portugal over Benfica, which is a which is a big team. Um, of course, Dimitris Pelkas, you know, top player since Benfica packing, I guess. I, I guess it's a good time to mention Pelkas looks like he's being sold to Turkey. Random note. I don't know. I just thought thought of that. Good luck to that man in the future. Hope he never plays for Greece again. Anyway, back to Porto. Yeah, Porto has a good team, and they also have some danger man. Uh, Corona, I think, is his name. He's a he's a winger. He's quite a good player. We'll we'll see how they do. Yeah, well, how continue their fire sale, I suppose. But yeah, it'll be an interesting group, and we do have Marseille contributors coming on. We hope to eventually get some folks from Manchester City and Porto as well. Obviously, City are a big club with a big presence on social media with the fans. There are a lot of people who support City around the world. So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll keep to we'll try to keep bringing you all that content with the other clubs. But until then, I think that about wraps up all the news. This is, I think, the last episode that we'll have before the transfer window closes. Maybe on Wednesday we will have some news around the league to break that happens between now and the end of the window. But, yeah, enough uh, random transfer news for now, which is, I suppose, interesting. It'll sort of change the way we do the podcast here. Not as many deep dives, unfortunately, Adi. But, you know, maybe that gives Adi more time to, I don't know, spend time with his, his wife. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so for better or for worse there. But yeah, any any final notes on sort of the last few days of, of Greek football for Olympiakos, boys? Well, obviously I'm disappointed. But I think, you know, looking long term with the signings coming in, I think we're going to be all right. You know, I think... Uh, the we're getting the correct transfers we're identifying the problems and we're bringing the right pieces in on paper to fill the holes so obviously i'm upset about the game but i think we have a real opportunity here you know to do something in europe you know last year was for me a start you know we had our, our first presence with martinez as the coach in europe and this year now with new pieces i think this team is going to be just as good, if not better than last year. I'm going to say that right now. I think this team has what it takes to be better than last year's team. And I think we really have a good shot here of making the round of 16. I hope we can do it. I believe in the boys. Yeah, I think a little disappointed today. A lot more disappointed that I'm going to have to watch three matches of Greece coming up these next few weeks. Not looking forward to that. Just watch Senegal instead. I'm going to be watching a lot of Senegal matches. Let's go see this. Let's go. Ball. Uh, but yeah, I agree completely. I think once this team gets in its full groove, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a good Olympiaco side. And the one thing I'm worried about is, is it too late? Did we wait too long? Uh, and will, will this team mesh by the time we play Marseille? We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, I think, the collective statement from all of us is I think we can uh, I think we can get second. I want to see round of 16 this year. If we get Europa League, I won't be disappointed because we could win that competition. But round of 16, I think, is more achievable this year than it was last year, both in part to the group and the team that we have. So with that being said, 
I want to thank everybody for listening. Obviously, especially if you've made it this far, this will be our last solo podcast of just us three for a while. So keep an eye out for more special guests. Be sure to share the podcast. We're obviously available on any platforms that you might want to listen to. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Gate7INTL. Feel free to leave a review if you want, and we'll continue to read them out on the pod, assuming they're not. Actually, you know what? If you want to leave a one-star review and you want to call us biased and and you know claim that we pluck analytics and and have an agenda against teams, you know what? You can say that as well, and we'll read it out because you know it's all good fun. Um, that being said, coming to you from three different countries, we wish you all well, and we will see you soon. <laughs>